0: On this week's show, Mercari adds a feature sellers are very happy about. Etsy adds some features sellers are not so happy about. And Amazon is in trouble with the government again. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to episode number 205 of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host. We've got a big update with reselling news from Etsy, eBay, Mercari, uh, the post office, and more. And then in the back half of the show, I've got a pretty hefty what Sold recap this week, kind of tying in with last week's episode, which, if you didn't catch, was my five tips for helping to combat summer slowdown. As those things have accumulated, business has actually picked up pretty well here at the Galaxy. Last week was my best week in months, both in terms of dollar volume and transaction listing sold volume. So those little what seemed maybe like obvious tips are actually working in my case. So if you haven't caught that video, I'll leave a link in the show notes in the video description down below so you can go check that out uh, and hopefully maybe get some traction with your business. For summer slowdown. But let's get into this reselling news. Use updates. So first up, Mercari has finally gotten with the program and added four by six labels. Uh, this has been pr- probably among sellers one of the most requested features over on Mercari that I can recall. Over the years, and they have finally last week they just quietly announced they finally did send out a quick notification on the mobile app with a link to this little article that says, How do I select shipping label size? Mercari prepaid labels are available to print on two paper sizes eight and a half by 11, which has always been there, which is best for inkjet and laser printers, they say, and four by six, which is best for, of course, the thermal printers like the Rollo and the Zebra and all those. So uh, they walk you through how you can select the correct label, navigate to your order status page, scroll to shipping information slash label, tap set paper size, select your preferred paper size and tap save on your order status page. You'll see your saved paper size option and you're done. Just print your label. So really straightforward. Uh, kudos to Mercari for finally getting this implemented. Etsy, however, has been making some changes. Some of these may be just tests and things that they're looking at trying to do, but sellers are not particularly thrilled with some of the things that they're seeing. This is not something that all sellers are seeing. It's not on all pages, so it's pretty hit or miss, but there are some things going on over at Etsy that you might want to be aware of. Number one, they are now, uh, appear to be showing detailed seller ratings, kind of like eBay does. They're displaying a new feature in the reviews section of seller's listings, and the fact that only a few sellers reported seeing this indicates that it is likely, as I said, a test. The grid calls to mind eBay's detailed seller ratings that show up in the seller feedback of seller's listings, showing the numerical value for description, accuracy, shipping cost, shipping speed, and communication. A screenshot of the Etsy grid that e-commerce bites where this article appears... It uh, looked at viewed similarly shows a numerical value, but for just three areas rather than four: item quality shipping and customer service. They ask the question, where would Etsy get those numbers? The Etsy help page on reviews explains that buyers using the buy on Etsy app for iOS can give a star rating for the item quality shipping and seller customer service in addition to the overall rating. So apparently this is not something that's available yet to buyers using Android or who are leaving reviews on desktop. However, the page explains, quote, only the reviews' overall star rating is visible publicly. However, when e-commerce bytes went to look, uh, they found that that was not, in fact, the case. Uh, they have here a screenshot, and I will, of course, link to this and all these articles today in the show notes and the video description below. They looked at one listing. And those things were actually displayed. Uh, It's probably a little hard to see if you're watching on YouTube. If you want to see what it looks like, uh, click on over to that article. Um, But this is something sellers are not real pleased about. Uh, The article notes, just as eBay sellers can be sensitive about feedback policies, so too can Etsy sellers about review policies and practices. Readers may recall that many sellers had been upset last year when Etsy displayed old negative reviews at the top. So Etsy has some issues with reviews and how they display them. And this is kind of one more thing going on over there that uh, the Etsy seller community is not real happy about. Another thing, (laughs) uh, it's it's a bash on Etsy kind of episode, I guess. They are now inserting search links directly into a seller's photos. When a shopper lands on a seller's listing on Etsy or eBay or anywhere, for that matter, the seller wants to optimize the page so that the shopper will click the add to cart button and Purchase the item. So when sellers see marketplaces try to take shoppers away from their listings, this article says they get peeved. Etsy and eBay sellers have been forced to resign themselves to the fact that marketplaces insert ads in their listings. We talked about this last week and a few other times on this show. But it's this article says it does not stop there. A reader wrote in to e-commerce bites to let us know that Etsy added a photo to their listing that includes hyperlinks that, if clicked, Take the visitor to a search results page. A potential buyer, they said, had an inquiry about an item I was selling on Etsy. As I was scrolling through my pictures, I noticed the last picture had text inserted inside bubbles. These bubbles were the tags that the seller had used when they made the listing so that it could be found. Etsy has inserted them into this picture box, and you click on them. It takes you out of the listing and into a new search results page. The writer of the article went to a random listing on Etsy, scrolled through the photos and found that indeed that last photo contained a label saying related searches and included the following links to search pages for the tags the seller had included in their listing. So uh, this is for me really problematic. When I put up my pictures of my thing, if somebody clicks on the picture, I don't want them going somewhere else. I want them to see the picture. Now, of course, you would have to click in this text bubble, but you would naturally think that this is something that the seller has done, when in fact, in this case, it's something that Etsy is doing. Sellers, they note, had first noticed Etsy inserting links in their photos back in February, which they reported at that time. Etsy tests appear to send shoppers away from sellers' listings. Another issue that sellers may have with the latest feature, or again, it may just be a test, is it isn't clear to shoppers, as I just mentioned, that clicking on the links would take them to results that include other sellers' listings. Shoppers might assume, since the seller is responsible for those photos that are included in the listing, it was the seller that added those links, the label-related searches that Etsy features at the top of the photo could be confusing to shoppers. It certainly may have sellers wondering about the wisdom of investing in marketing to drive shoppers to Etsy listings, given the fact that they may be enticed away to other sellers listings. So they're referring here to, if you're doing your own offsite marketing and you're spending your own money advertising your Etsy listings to drive a buyer to Etsy, and then that buyer clicks on this bubble and then goes by and buys from somewhere else, you have essentially spent your advertising budget to make someone else money. So this one to me is, I guess I understand why Etsy is trying to do it because they just want to maximize their sell-through. But this using my listings and your listings to try to accomplish that to me is a bit uh, problematic, let's say. And as if that wasn't enough. (laughs) Uh, Etsy made some changes to their terms of use and limits of liability and changes in their arbitration clause. Uh, you probably got, if you sell on Etsy, you probably got a notification about this, but Etsy is limiting its liability and making other changes to legal provisions and its terms of use that buyers and sellers agree to when using the site. Legally speaking, the article points out visitors agree to the terms even if they are simply browsing the site or apps according to the new agreement. So you don't even have to have an account. If you just go and search on their site... And use their site for any reason, whether you are a registered user or not, you are tacitly agreeing to these terms of service. They will go into effect on July 24th. Etsy did also advise its users that it updated its privacy policy and its intellectual property policy. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, one of the highlights as before the arbitration agreement includes a class action and jury waiver which means we'll be resolving most disputes in private, individual arbitration, and not in court, according to the email that Etsy sent out to users. Please read this section carefully, even they say. So... Uh, whenever marketplace or services update their user agreements, it's a good idea to review the full documents to refresh your memory about your rights and limitations. As a reminder, to be sure to read Section 11 of the new Etsy terms, Arbitration Agreement and Class Action Waiver, as well as the new Privacy and IP Policies. So if you are a seller on Etsy and you ignored that message, you might want to go take a look at that. Uh, there's a lot going on there. So I'm not going to go over all the details, but just be aware there are changes coming to that policy effective on July 24th, and your continued use of the site, as they say, constitutes your agreement with those changes. Moving on over to TikTok, they are transforming into a shopping platform. Uh, They have had selling available on TikTok for quite some time, but there are two new reports in recent days that show how the social media app, is working to capitalize on users' propensity to shop products featured in its short-form videos. Uh, This article points out that TechCrunch said TikTok confirmed a report in the Financial Times that it is testing a new shopping section in the UK called Trendy Beat, where it is offering products for sale that are shipped and sold by a subsidiary of its parent company, ByteDance. So they're not selling your stuff, they're selling their own stuff. In this, So this is interesting. TechCrunch indicated that in the U.S., TikTok was focused on adding new merchandise to TikTok shop, which lets brands sell items on the platform. Uh, the information reported the following day in the U.S. that TikTok was building out a fulfillment service as well, comprised of third party logistics companies and said it was testing the service with U.S. sellers. The writer noted its approach contrasts with those of competitors like Amazon, which has spent tens of billions building its own logistics network over more than two decades. TikTok did hire. This article points out a former Amazon and Alibaba executive to head this U.S. logistics effort, according to a tweet from the informants Anne Gahan, who, with Theo Waite, broke the original news. TikTok eventually plans to sell its own Amazon Basics-like products through TikTok Shop to U.S users. So they're going to be competing with all the rest of us. Uh, They note it'll be interesting to see if TikTok's push into fulfillment works out better than it did for Shopify, another successful software firm that tried to move physical goods in the real world. Shopify, they say, gave up after spending four years and billions of dollars on that effort. So TikTok getting into e-commerce in a pretty big way. Again, this is interesting to me. I guess it would indicate maybe that they're not particularly concerned about potentially being banned in the United States. If they're making this kind of an investment in their ability to sell and ship products, they have to be pretty pretty confident that they are going to continue to be a going concern here in the U.S. So you can let me know if you're watching on YouTube in the comments down below what you think of all that. Uh, but that is what's going on over at TikTok. This article, also on e-commerce Bytes, says request an exception if you don't want eBay to publish your address. This is week three in a row now, I think. We're talking about the Inform Consumers Act. The Federal Trade Commission is going full steam ahead on enforcing this new law that takes effect next week that requires marketplaces to disclose sellers' names and full addresses to their buyers. Last week, eBay sent the following email to some sellers informing them, that they must request an exception if they don't wish eBay to publish their full address. The subject line read, Check for an exception to sharing your full address with buyers. It points out specifically that the requirement applies to high-volume sellers like you, who have both reached $20,000 in annual gross revenue and sold 200 or more new condition items. So that's fairly specific. They have to be new items. We appreciate your dedication to selling on eBay and wanted to let you know that there are two exceptions to this new requirement that you may qualify for. If your address is your residential address, you're selling out of your home, and that's the address you use, only your state and country will be shown. If you use a different address for product returns, then that return address is the one that will be displayed. There is a link that you can click to go and request that exception in a, they say, a few quick steps. Uh, You can also request an exception by navigating to your personal slash business info in your account settings within my eBay. If you think the above exceptions may apply to you, please take some time to put in a request before this new law goes into effect, which is on June 27th, which is uh, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe in a day or two, or it may have already passed. For more information on how the Informed Consumers Act applies to you as an eBay seller, you can visit their dedicated page in Seller Central. We talked about last week, unless Congress delays enforcement as some sellers have petitioned it to do so over issues they experience getting verified on Amazon, the FTC must enforce the law beginning on that date, which it made clear in a notice on its website. They do add one quick update to this. Uh, To clarify, there are two thresholds marketplaces must pay attention to. $5,000 in annual gross merchandise volume and $20,000 in gross merchandise volume. Online marketplaces must collect and verify information from high-volume third-party sellers defined as a seller who in any continuous 12-month period during the past 24 months has had on that platform 200 or more separate sales or transactions of new or unused, so again, new products, and $5,000 or more in gross revenues. If the high volume third-party seller has annual gross revenues of $20,000 or more on a particular online marketplace, the marketplace must clearly disclose information on each of the seller's product listing pages or in order confirmation messages and account transaction histories on that platform, again, to include the seller's full name, physical address, and contact information. So this is a fairly complicated (laughs) uh, law for the platforms to comply with and enforce, As we talked about last week, there's a pretty hefty fine for instances where they do not. If you got this email from eBay, it's definitely something you want to look into if you think this exception will apply to you. eBay is doing a training camp for sports card trading, sports trading card collectors. Uh, First of its kind, Collectors Camp is going to convene With trading card enthusiasts and show them how to level up their collections, inaugural events will take place during NBA Draft Week with the Brooklyn Nets, Um, I think it's Michael Bridges, and a local eBay seller piece of the game. Today, this is last week, eBay announced Collectors Camp, a series of intense training events for card enthusiasts who want to build world-class collections, kicking off in Brooklyn Participants will receive premier training from an industry expert, providing the insights, tools, and strategy to move from a casual weekend hobbyist to a more serious collector, investor, or even a professional seller. So, uh, pretty cool program. eBay is all in on cards. There's some really interesting stats Uh, later in this article. uh, This event took place. Uh, last week, uh, June 21st through 22nd, if you're a trading card seller and you happen to go to this event, uh, let me know what you thought of it. You can leave a note in the comments, but eBay, they note has 1.8 billion active listings from 133 million active buyers. I think they mean sellers there in 190 global markets. They have 16 million enthusiast buyers who spend approximately $3,000 annually. That's a lot of money and a lot of buyers. So this is a huge category for eBay. And on eBay, NBA was searched over 8,000 times per hour globally in 2022. So trading cards continue to be a big business and a big business for eBay. We talked about this some time ago. It's not too far away now. The USPS rate changes go into effect on July 9th. USPS has announced updated 2023 rates. There is a summary of the changes we're going to cover here, but there's a link to the full disclosure of all these different rates. Media Mail folks are bearing the brunt of this. Average increases of 7.5%. This comes on the heels of a pretty big increase back in the winter. Parcel ground select packages up to 20 pounds have increased and decreased rates depending on where, where the weight and the zone is. There is, again, a chart that you can get to through a link if you want to see what those changes are. There are no changes as of this time for Priority Mail, Priority Mail Express, or First Class Package. Those will be coming later. However, uh, please note the following USPS updates will also be applied: domestic shipping insurance is going up an average four point seven percent. Signature confirmation is going up a fifteen cents to three dollars and forty cents. And effective on the same date, eBay standard envelope rates will be going up. So, one ounce will be sixty three cents, two ounces eighty seven, and three ounces one eleven. Uh, note that you. USPS Ground Advantage is coming also on that same date. It will combine three existing services, first-class package, parcel Parcel ground, parcel select ground rather, and retail ground all into one service. I haven't seen a chart yet for what those rates are going to look like. I would assume, as is the case where they mentioned earlier, some of them will probably be higher and some of them will be lower. Again, it's the primary driver for the fact that I have eliminated free shipping on almost all of the platforms because these changes are coming fast and furious twice a year and there's too many of them to keep track of so I've just set up calculated shipping for everything and the buyer is unfortunately going to bear the brunt of these costs not me other than paying the final value fee now on potentially a higher (laughs) or lower amount what a mess uh, eBay, Amazon, Etsy, Facebook, Mercari, and OfferUp have all agreed to work with retail chains through a new state attorney general initiative. Major online marketplaces and the California, why is it always California? Uh, attorney general adopted a joint statement of principles in an effort to combat the sale and resale of stolen goods. Among the e-commerce companies signing the document who agreed to work with retail chains were eBay, Amazon, Etsy, Facebook, Parent, Meta, Mercari, and OfferUp. The retail industry has dubbed the problem of theft and subsequent resale of stolen items organized retail crime. Uh, That sounds ominous. Uh, The Office of Attorney Attorney General Rob Bonta issued a press release last Tuesday to announce the agreement with retail and e-commerce companies where it stated that in some cases resale may occur through third-party online platforms. The article notes, while online sellers will likely applaud efforts to remove stolen items from the marketplaces on which they sell since they drive down prices below wholesale costs, because, of course, if it's stolen, your wholesale cost is nothing. (laughs) Uh, How the marketplaces detect stolen goods may be of great concern in their zeal to enforce the rules. Marketplaces, of course, are turning to AI and bots to detect these violations and issue takedowns and suspensions. But they note the automation can be overly aggressive. Uh, there's a whole laundry list of things that they're they're going to require the platforms to do. I'm not. You can see if you're watching on YouTube, you can see how much of this I've highlighted. I'm not going to read all this, but there is a ton of stuff, most of which is directed at the platforms and what they need to do with their internal policies and their monitoring in order to comply with what they have agreed to here. So, I guess good on them for trying to squash these theft rings that are reselling stuff online. Uh, But man, this is, uh, again, just one more thing. And when we talk about, you know, these platforms raising their fees all the time, a lot of it is due to these kind of compliance requirements. The more they're asked to do, the more they're asked to research and look into, the more their cost structure changes and goes up. And of course, they pass that all along to Ryan working in his basement. (laughs) And the last thing in the news for this week, uh, FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is once again taking action against Amazon, this time for enrolling consumers in Amazon Prime without their consent and then sabotaging their attempts to cancel. The FTC is taking action against Amazon for what they call a years-long effort to enroll consumers into Prime without their consent while knowingly making it difficult for consumers to cancel those subscriptions. In a complaint filed last week, the FTC charges that Amazon has knowingly duped millions of consumers into unknowingly enrolling in Amazon Prime. Specifically, they say Amazon used manipulative, coercive, or deceptive user interface designs known as dark patterns to trick consumers into enrolling automatically into automatically renewing Prime subscriptions and that they knowingly complicated the cancellation process for those subscribers who sought to end their membership. The primary purpose of its Prime cancellation process, they say, was not to enable subscribers to cancel, but in fact, to stop them from doing so. Amazon leadership slowed or rejected changes that would have made it easier for users to cancel Prime because those changes, of course, would have adversely affected Amazon's bottom line. The complaint, quote, Amazon tricked and trapped people into recurring subscriptions without their consent, not only frustrating users, but also costing them significant money, said FTC chair Lena Khan. Now, we've talked about her before. She has had it in for Amazon since long before she was the chair of the FTC. So this probably comes as no surprise who, to anybody who has been following her and her um scholarly work that she did before she took over this, but this is uh, another really kind of a black mark on Amazon. uh, During their online checkout process, they note consumers were faced with numerous opportunities to subscribe to Prime at $14.99 a month. In many cases, the option to purchase items on Amazon without subscribing to Prime was more difficult for consumers to locate. In some cases, the button presented to consumers to present or to complete their transaction, did not clearly state that in choosing that option, they were also agreeing to join Prime. So if that is in fact the case, that's a truly deceptive practice and tsk, tsk shame on Amazon for it. Uh, the FTC goes on to charge that Amazon put in place a cancellation progress process designed to deter customers from successfully unsubscribing. Consumers who attempted to cancel were faced with multiple steps to actually accomplish the task of canceling. Consumers first had to locate the cancellation flow to begin with, which Amazon had made difficult. Once they located that flow, they were redirected to multiple pages that presented several offers to continue the subscription. If you've ever tried to cancel anything, <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've, you've run into this. If you try to switch your internet or your cable or your phone service or whatever, they run you through the ringer trying to offer you discounts or incentives to stay. It's uh, this was a mess. They were redirected to those offers and then not really given an option to just turn off auto renew or decide to cancel. Only after clicking through these pages could consumers finally cancel the service. The complaint also notes that Amazon was aware of consumers being non-consensually enrolled and the complex and confusing processes to cancel Prime, but that the company's executives failed to take any meaningful steps to address the issues until they were aware that the FTC was actually investigating it. Uh, the vote was 3-0 to pursue this complaint against Amazon. So uh, I don't know. Man, these, uh, I think most of the sites do this in some fashion or other. Of course, they're trying to make as much money as they can. They're trying to get people to subscribe to these services. But this appears to have been, at least on the face of it, really outright deceptive practice. So not not good at all. So that's kind of a a real mixed bag on the news, man. I suppose that trading card thing, if you're a trading card seller, was good news. And the Mercari label thing was good news. But boy, a lot of the rest of that was a real downer. (laughs) Uh, So let's do something a little more fun and talk about some solds. As I mentioned, I've got a whole bunch of stuff this week. Uh, we're just going to get right into it. Back to the nameless one, uh, bio, Biosophical Poems by Frederick Kettner. This is a hardcover from 1934. I had it listed for $21.99 plus shipping. I got an offer of $20. This was part of a big lot that I own for about $0.16, cents, so I went ahead and took that deal. This was kind of a weird one. So when I'm out at sales and I find like old medical books... I will usually take a chance on them because you can usually get them super cheap. This one was the fifth edition, um, trade paperback of the ADA PDR guide to dental therapeutics, a fifth edition paperback. I picked it up for 50 cents at an estate sale, maybe six weeks ago, listed it for 24 99 plus shipping again, got an offer of 20 bucks, went ahead and took that. So, uh, medical textbooks are probably if you're a bookseller they're worth taking a moment to look up to see if they have any value i talk about these all the time bibles older bibles specialty edition bibles all of them are potentially really good money this was the open bible edition red letter king james version from nelson it was in um kind of a burgundy leather this was one i picked up at an estate sale for a dollar i had it listed for 24 dollars or best offer, got another $20 offer and went ahead and sold that. Uh, Bibles are can be fantastic money. And occasionally you can get them free. Some sellers, some like estate sellers and some people at garage sales just won't charge you for Bibles. They'll just give them to you. So definitely worth taking a look at. This was an interesting book from the big 15,000 book lot. So I own this for... Maybe four cents, four and a half cents. Random Ramblings in India by William H. Danforth. This was from 1928. He was an executive with the Ralston Purina Company. This was a soft cover book about his experiences, I guess, setting up their business over in India. I had it listed for $27.99 plus media mail shipping. Received an offer of $23 and shipped this thing on its merry way. A CD. I've had this since I did the big eight thousand CD buy uh, three years ago. Actually, it'll be three years ago next week. Uh, Blood of Abraham, Future Prophets. This was on Ruthless Records from nineteen ninety three. Pretty hard to find album. I had it listed for thirty two ninety nine. I had it on sale for thirty percent off, so twenty three oh nine plus media mail shipping. Again, on a cost of goods sold of about three and a half cents. This was kind of a cool book. This I picked up at an estate sale as part of a big lot purchase. So I'm probably into this thing for maybe 25 cents uh, from 1965, a Japanese Tatsuo Mayawaki origami fun book, and it included a bunch of folding paper. So this was a really cool little book. Um, it had like, you know, the origami swans and all that kind of stuff where whoever owned this previously had done all of those and uh, taped them into the book, but it still had A lot of stuff to do, and I think there were like 96 sheets of the whatever the specialty paper is to do origami with. So I had this thing listed for $24.99 plus first-class shipping because it had other stuff in it besides the book. Sold it for full price, $24.99 plus shipping. Over on Mercari, uh, this was part of, again, another big lot of books. I owned this for about five cents. Field Book of Common Mushrooms, new and enlarged third edition from 1948. It was a hardcover with its dust jacket. Really interesting book. Lots of great illustrations about um, mushrooms and the like. Really cool book. Had it listed over on Mercari for, I believe, $30 free shipping. I received an offer on Mercari for $26 because I own it for so little. I went ahead and took that deal as well. Uh, This is literally the first time I have had that I can recall a Mercari bundle purchase. So I had two books listed, uh, the Holy Bible New International Version from Zondervan from 1979 and the Living Bible Paraphrased from Tyndale in Leather from 1973. They were listed respectively for $12 and $23, so $35 with free shipping. I had a buyer that sent out an offer of $28.00. These two Bibles I picked up at a sale for 50 cents a piece last week. So, again, I took that offer. Uh, Let me know in the comments, if you're watching on YouTube, do you get many bundle offers on Mercari? They started that program quite some time ago, and I just really haven't had any. Uh, Etsy is also trialing offers. I'm in that beta test. I've literally had one in the, I think, three and a half months that program has been going on, and I've got nearly 1,200 listings involved. So I'm not seeing a ton of offers on sites other than eBay, where I get them all the time. <laughs> uh, speaking of Etsy, the first sale over there, this was another a, a massive book from 1937, The Outline of Science. This was a complete in one volume. It was originally a four-volume set in 1937. They published... A one-volume set. This book barely fit in a 14 by 10 by 4 box. It was absolutely massive. Uh, It was written by J. Arthur Thompson. This sold for $29.99. Plus, again, media mail shipping. This was part of a big lot that I own for $0.16. This was part of... I talked a few weeks ago about how much I like um, library sales and Friends of the Library sales. This was part of a big set of... Uh, Charles Dickens books that I picked up for a dollar a piece at a Friends of the Library sale. David Copperfield, the Universal Edition of the Works of Charles Dickens. It was an illustrated hardcover, I think, from probably the early 1900s. Like I said, I've got a buck in it. I sold it for $32.99, plus, again, media mail shipping. Another really old book. This one's got... A lot of <laughs> a lot of price drops on this bad boy. I originally had it listed for $69.99 or best offer. It's part of my 30% off clearance sale this month, so it was priced at $48.99. I got an offer of just $36 on it. Normally I'm not trying to do like 50% off of my listing price, but I've had this book for probably two years. It was part of a big lot of romance kind of vintage 1930s era romance books that I bought a long time ago for about a dollar a piece. So I went ahead and took this offer. Not ideal. Still a nice sale. 36 bucks out of a buck. But uh, The Girl from New York by Elizabeth Charlton was on uh, Hillman Curl hardcover with its dust jacket. The dust jacket did have some wear and some staining. Book was written in 1937. Again, from 69.99 to 36 bucks not ideal, but from a dollar, cost of goods sold to $36, we'll take it. This I just picked up last week. I actually listed these at auction because there really weren't many of this particular set out there. Judy Bloom, a five book paperback box set. uh, It was a Dell yearling set from 1984. I listed this at $39.99 at auction. And after unfortunately seven days, it only received a it says two bids, but it sold at my original price, so I'm assuming the, the person must have put in a second bid at a higher amount in case they got outbid. Anyway, it sold for $39.99 plus media mail shipping. Picked this up at an estate sale, like I said, just last week for a buck. I tend to, if I can get them for the right price, buy high school and college yearbooks, Almost every time I see them, unless they're asking like 10 bucks a piece for them, which you do run into from time to time. I was at an estate sale a couple of weeks ago, and they had a pretty big stack of yearbooks, college and high school, dated back to the 1940s. They were $2 a piece, so I went ahead and bought all of them. This one was from uh, 1977 here in Cincinnati, the Archbishop Moeller High School yearbook, The Templar. I had it. There was nothing like this. There were some other molar yearbooks listed, but none from this particular era, none called the Templar. So I aimed pretty high on this. I listed it for fifty-nine ninety-nine, but I did have a fairly low minimum offer threshold on this one of forty dollars. Somebody bid, somebody requested the forty dollars, made the offer. I went ahead and took it because I only own it for a couple of bucks. So forty dollars plus media mail shipping yearbooks, if you can get them for a buck or two. Sometimes they will sit for a while. They're not necessarily fast flips, but they can bring really, really good money. This one, a local high school yearbook, $40. I talked a few weeks ago about a garage sale that I went to, and it was the last one of the day. I bought 102 books for $30, so less than 30 cents, and I was doing lots of old kind of vintage westerns. This was 15 of the Eagles series by William W. Johnstone, all uh, Pinnacle books, paperbacks, 15 of them, sold for $3 a piece, $44.99, plus, again, media mail shipping. So lots of books can do really well. These are selling for 3 and $4 a piece, free shipping in a lot of cases, which doesn't make any sense. But if you can bundle them up in 6 10 or like in this case, 15 and make a pretty good lick on it, That's a pretty nice flip. This was a cool old book. Again, part of a big lot. Uh, Owned this thing for, I think, 50 cents. Ben Hogan's Five Lessons. This was a deluxe edition. Illustrated hardcover in its slipcase. was a first edition book from 1957. I originally ran this at auction. It got a lot of watchers, but nobody bid. I had the auction originally starting at $39.99, When nobody bought it, I relisted it fixed price at $54.99 plus shipping. Received an offer of $45, which I went ahead and took. So I guess in this case, nobody bidding on it at auction actually made me an extra 5 bucks. And this is our last one for the day. Uh, Algebra for the Practical Man from, I believe it's J.E. Thompson, second edition from 1946. From the Mathematics for Self-Study. Series. I've talked about these books a couple of times in the past. They, I, I got to be honest, I have no idea why this is the case, but they are incredibly valuable, especially if they have their dust jackets. This is the third one of these I've sold. This one went for seventy-four point ninety-nine plus media mail shipping. I own it for a dollar and fifteen cents from a garage sale purchase I did some time back. I've sold three or four from this series with their dust jackets. For sixty-five to seventy-five dollars, and three or four of them without their dust jackets for anywhere from twenty to thirty dollars. So if you're inclined to look around for books, and you see these, uh, again, it's the mathematics for self-study. They were produced by D Van No, I think it's N- Nordstrand Company, written by this J E Thompson fella, nineteen thirties through the kind of mid to late nineteen forties era. Man, they are. They are gold. <laughs> uh, I will take that all day from a buck fifteen to seventy four ninety nine. That is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Outstanding. <laughs> so that's going to put a wrap on uh, another fairly lengthy episode here. Lots going on in the news. Lots going on in business. I hope your business is picking up. Uh, if again, if you're struggling a little bit with summer slowdown. Go check out last week's video. Uh, I know the Pure Hustle podcast guys also just recently did a video and a podcast about how summer does not have to slow down. I I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I assume they cover a lot of the same things. Basic kind of reselling business tips that may be helpful to kind of kickstart your business. So if you haven't watched that, go check those out. Um, if you got something out of this today or you just enjoyed it or you just, think i'm a hell of a fella do me a favor if you're watching on youtube and hit that thumbs up button if you're not currently a follower of the podcast or a subscriber to the youtube channel please consider doing that as well and now it's time to sell thanks guys you have been listening to the galaxy cds rocks and flips reseller talk podcast thank you so much for tuning in and we will catch you again next time